Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 112 of the podcast. It's the 21st of February, 2018, as I record this intro. And it's Q&A time. Hannah Brown joins me this month to answer your questions. And though Anne wasn't able to join us for the call, through the magic of editing, she does show up for the first question. And this month, we dig into questions around helping a child who feels powerless and defeated, how to support a child who left school six months ago, personal hygiene choices, and the challenge of different personalities and meeting their needs. As a personal update, I'm just busily trying to organize the last details to launch my book, The Unschooling Journey, A Field Guide, next week. There are a surprising number of moving pieces to it, but so far, so good. Fingers crossed. And there were three new reviews of the podcast posted last month on iTunes. Thank you so much. They're lovely, and I thought I'd share. Uh, One listener wrote, thank you, Pam. I'm finally getting around to writing a review for this most helpful podcast. Being new to unschooling, it's been a joy to have this weekly boost to reaffirm why I want to have this lifestyle with my son. It has helped my husband to understand and embrace this with me. I'm very grateful for your insights and your guest interviews. Thanks so much. Another wrote, I can't emphasize enough how amazing these podcasts are for those who are on the journey towards unschooling. So many interesting stories and explorations. This is fast becoming a lifeline, a friendly and supportive friend to turn to when there are so many emotions and questions. Just an invaluable resource given with so much kindness and generosity. Thank you so much, Pam. And the third listener shared, thank you, Pam, for continuing to put these podcasts together. I'm relatively new to unschooling and live rurally, so I need these podcasts to be encouraged and inspired. I always get great ideas from your guests and you. I even share them with my schooling friends because they inspire a more gentle parenting style. Thanks for all your hard work. And thanks again for taking the time to post reviews. By telling iTunes that you like the show, it's more likely to show up in searches for new listeners to find, and when they do, reading reviews helps them decide on whether they want to try the show out. And I also love knowing that you are finding these, uh, all these episodes and interviews and discussions and Q&A shows helpful on your unschooling journey. That makes my heart sing. (laughs) And a huge thank you to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Alisa. Thank you so much for joining us. I deeply appreciate all my patrons and their generous support, helping me share unschooling information and inspiration with anyone who wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And for this week's quote, Hannah summed things up very nicely. She said, 
If there's anything you can take away from this episode, it's don't project out. Just look right here. Be right here and connect. See the beauty and the joy in what your child is doing right now and celebrate that because the rest of it will really unfold if you keep that connection going. She said it so beautifully. When your attention wanders or fears try to distract you, bring yourself back to the moment again and again. Maybe try it this week and see what you discover. And now, on to your questions. Welcome to another Q&A episode. I'm Pam Laricchia from livingjoyfully.ca, and I'm happy to be joined again by Anna Brown. Hi, Anna. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, Anne is not able to join us for the call this month, but she very sweetly did take the question that she was going to read <laughs> and recorded that separately along with her answer. And with the magic of editing, she starts us off with the first question. Our question is from Katerina in the UK, and she writes, Hi, reading Q&A episode 95 gave me goosebumps. Validating someone's feelings makes so much sense. I know how I feel when I feel understood. Someone once said that to feel understood is to feel loved. My 11-year-old, though, often says, I have the worst luck in the world. He gets frustrated often while video gaming, and when he can't do something, like his Nerf gun is jammed, his shoelaces are not cooperating, etc., and his explanation is always, it is because of my luck. It breaks my heart to see him feeling so powerless and defeated. I guess what I'm asking is how to help him feel a bit more capable and lucky, apart from validating, which I'm working on now. Thank you. Well, hi, Katerina. I'm so glad our words landed in the right place and gave you goosebumps. <laughs> and it sounds like you can see why validation is so necessary and valuable. I often call it radical validation because of how authentic our validation needs to be and to feel. So when I validate, I do go to a place when I have felt much like how my child is feeling, and I can validate him with nothing but a deep and authentic understanding. However, and here may lie a little tricky part about validation, um, it's crucial that we don't own our children's feelings. Our connection to and understanding of what they're feeling with our validating is completely separate from taking their feelings and owning their feelings as a heaviness and a weight in our own lives. So many people say that seeing their children in challenging situations and feeling bad about themselves breaks their, that breaks their hearts, as you said. And I get that. But I personally make sure I don't feel that way. It would be easy to slip into feeling that way, and that's why I make sure that I'm mindful of doing the work of holding my child, no matter what, in a vision of light and trusting in his feelings, trusting in his path, even and especially when it's challenging and maybe a painful stretching time for him. I have some writings on my Shine With Unschooling website that are about validating, validating our children. You may have been there and read them. But there's an excerpt from a conference talk I did years ago. The talk is about when Sam started working at his first job in a professional restaurant kitchen and was having a very difficult time. Here's a part of that talk. 
While I can see my child's world from his perspective and deeply validate from that place, I also need to be in this place of trusting that all is well, both for him and for myself. My child needs this from me, especially when he is feeling sad or otherwise challenged and is not able to connect to any light in his life, not able to reach for a better feeling place at all. When I am able to hold a trust that these challenging times are a time of stretching and growth, then I am the one who remains at the door of infinite possibilities. I am the one who can still see and accept the goodness that is there for my child's acclaim at a time when he can't do it for himself, and he can feel then that I'm holding on to his light within me. Even if I'm so radically validating that I'm crying and sharing raw emotions with him and validating this darkness that he's feeling, he can feel that I am not pitying him. He can feel that I am not feeling sorry for him. He can feel that I understand him, that I see him, that I hear him, that I know that this is hard, and yet he knows that I do trust in him and his path no matter what. He can feel that I'm ready to help him in any way I can, any way that he needs me to. He can count on me to throw him a lifeline when he needs it because I have stayed in the perfect position to be of value to him by not disappearing into his emotions and doubling the weight and the darkness that he is already carrying. And while I have no expectation of my child to be happy, because I wouldn't want to presume that even there is where he should be, I do tend to trust that this is what he will naturally want to reach for when he is ready, because I know that this is where my child feels good about himself. And that's the feeling we've always walked toward in our family, feeling good about ourselves. I trust that my child will eventually be able to let in his own light with my help if he desires it, because the very thought of, I want to feel better, is in and of itself a sliver of light. And even a sliver is enough, because it always grows from there. So when he is ready to let in some light, I am ready to offer it to him, because I never let go of it for one second during what he was feeling was his darker time. I never owned his feelings. I radically validated them. So, Katerina, (laughs) I'm just maybe asking you to just be aware of your energy when you are with him. If you're saying this is heartbreaking and you're feeling that when you see him, can you feel how that comes across as a pity and a hopelessness? And, uh, you know, that's just the weight that he's receiving from you, if that's what you're holding on to and feeling. So if that's what he's receiving from you, then it's even more difficult for him to get out of his own weight that he's holding on to, because he's also feeling the weight of your weight about how he's feeling. Do you see what a vicious cycle that could be? So I said that this is the tricky part about validation but only tricky until you really understand it. It kind of flows after that. You can validate your son's feelings by holding on to times when you have felt frustrated with things that are happening yourself. You know, that validation can sound like, oh, I'm so sorry. I get frustrated with things like that too. Can I help you with anything? Or if it's his game that he's frustrated with, validate that frustration 
that comes with gaming because that's what gaming is. <laughs> it's not all easy and winning. It is frustration. So it's easy to validate um, that part uh, that he's frustrated with and and maybe like end on a note that shows that you're not owning his weight. Like when I added, can I help you with anything? Um, Sam used to appear grumpy and rude when he was frustrated with his game, but I didn't see him as being grumpy or rude. I knew it was the real work he was doing in his head about the game. And after validating that and not taking what appeared to be grumpiness and rudeness personally, he would head back to the game and try again, because that's kind of what's happening in their heads when they walk away from it in frustration and like your son feeling bad about himself and feeling like he has bad luck and everything. For me, it's easy to validate that very real work that they're doing because it is frustrating. And our validation allows them the space to see their frustration. And from there, it kind of creates a space for them to open up possibilities of another way to approach the game. And that's why, you know, Sam would come out all, you know, grumbling about it and maybe feeling bad and everything. And he would get validation from me. Do you want a snack? What can I do? And then he would be right back at the game because it all opened up for him. So our validation helps our kids to see their frustration, see that it's real. It's a real thing in everyone's lives. And that allows them to release it when they're ready. What I feel is most important here is to be aware of the language in your validation. When your son talks about having the worst luck in the world, I wouldn't say, I know, I have felt like I have the worst luck in the world too. Um, I would use words that are simply a part of the truth of what he's feeling in the moment. Like, oh no, I see you're so frustrated about that. Or I understand sometimes I feel so frustrated and upset when I can't do something too. This language and these words, these words are words that describe what most everybody feels throughout the course of any day, really. And if you also show him throughout your day the times when you feel frustrated, but you're able to laugh at yourself also, or you're able to shift to feeling good right about yourself right afterward, you know, this will give him a map of how he might be able to navigate his feelings as well. And I feel like you definitely don't want to help him feel more lucky. I, I don't know. I feel like luck is just not a thing. I actually looked up the word to see what it actually means. And its definition is success or failure, excuse me, apparently brought by chance rather than through one's own actions. <laughs> so I don't feel like that's something we want to foster in our children's lives. What we do want to hand to our children is assistance in feeling empowered about how to choose how we feel about something, how we react to circumstances, and how we don't have to own the weight of what feels like a mistake or frustration, but is simply a part of learning and of life. Because it is always a choice. How we are feeling is a choice, and how we respond is a choice. Thanks so much, Anne, and great question, Katerina. As you mentioned in your question, validating when things get frustrating makes so much sense. And I love what Anne shared about not taking on our children's feelings as our own. That's so important to the process. As well as using words that more closely describe what is happening, like frustration, if that's what you're seeing. 
so you can fully validate his frustration when things don't go well without taking it on. And then in relaxed moments, chat with him about different ways to move through those times, helping him explore the kinds of tools that might work well for him. And if he continues to use the concept of luck to frame things right now, I think that's okay. It may be helping him gain some distance from things, helping him process things a bit detached from them. Like when things go wrong, he might be finding it easier to blame bad luck than himself, the only other choice he might be seeing right now. And eventually, we want to help him move through the need to blame anything when when things happen, because life happens, right? Now, it might help for you to be extra careful not to use any kind of blame language when you're talking about things in general, either outright or even just implied in the impression that you leave with your words. So if that's his framework of choice right now, you could meet him there by unobtrusively mentioning when you see good luck happening. By that, I mean just commenting what good luck when something goes his way. There's no need to say anything else. Just continue on with whatever's happening. Because you don't want to be heavy-handed and point out, see, it's not all bad. You have good luck too. Let him make that connection over time. And I think that could also help him make the connection that it's not really about luck at all. Because he'll realize that the good luck that you point out is often the result of actions that he's taken. And he'll make the connection that he has a good deal of agency and control in his life, more than he's been giving himself credit for. And it may be easier for him to recognize that at first on the positive side, on the good luck side. But eventually he'll make those connections with the frustrating, more bad luck side as well. But as Anne mentioned, luck is just a layer on top of reality. We really do have a lot of control in our lives, and it's more helpful to use direct language to describe situations. So be sure to pay attention to his language. Over time, as he gains experience and shifts how he describes things, be sure to shift too as well as taking any opportunity to use that more direct language so that he can see that in action. Anna? Yeah, I mean, I love what you both said because I do really think that holding that energy and light is so important for interactions with many people in our lives. Like that's just a helpful tool and to not take that energy inside of ourselves, you know, seeing them, validating them, but holding them in a space of love and light, not taking on their energy gives them a guide to a lighter feeling whenever they're ready. So you can be that person. And yes, watching the language really gives him new words for those experiences. And, you know, you can decide you don't have to buy into the whole lucky paradigm. You know, maybe he's heard that from somewhere or as Pan mentioned it may be serving him right now for reasons you know we don't know or and I I thought what she said made a lot of sense that he's just needing to distance himself but you can give him those different words for the feelings and experiences during your validation and I I also love that idea of just pointing out things in the world and and whether you use lucky or not but just kind of observing and enjoying and kind of giving him language around all of those experiences will help him think about that and kind of, oh, okay, look at what's happening here and how is this working? So I I loved all of that and don't really have a whole lot more to add. But that's a good point because, you know, he could be seeing, when we get in that headspace where we're seeing Mm -hmm. things from a negative slant, we see everything 
through that lens, right? right? And we don't notice all the other things around right. us. So to just help bringing those a, a little bit to his attention and not in a way like you're trying to change his mindset or anything, because that yeah. will, of course, bring resistance. But just, you know, so it's like, oh, 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 just just little bits for him to find. <laughs> and I think it can also be, and it's something we talk about when we're trying to shift things in ourselves, it can keep you, you know, Katarina, mm. in a space of energy of, you know, just joy and openness and that that kind of gives him this, this model, this feeling, because I've often found in my family, like my energy really sets the tone. And, you know, like Anne mentioned, when you're going to that place of, you know, oh, d- despair or heartbreak about him, which I, again, can totally understand because it's very hard to see our children struggle but when you go there it really does just add a weight to to everyone around and so you know finding those things in your life to kind of keep you at that level shows him oh look what mom's doing like she's seeing these things in her life that are working for her and that you know anyway so Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it it helps keep it all light doesn't it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah okay question number two is from lucy in quebec canada Uh, Hello, Pam, and thank you so much for the podcast you do. I have only discovered them recently, and they've been very helpful and reassuring in our journey to unschooling. I have a -a ten-and-a-half-year-old son named Julian who was attending our local Waldorf school. I myself am a trained Waldorf teacher and a professional gardener who now works at home growing sprouts. I live alone with my son, but he sees his father quite often. He and I are very good friends. My son has been out of school since May 2017. He had become very unhappy at school. He showed little interest for most of the curriculum, not understanding why he had to learn what he was told to learn. Socially, it was hard for him to connect with his peers in the school context. He was often left out, rejected, or bullied. Since he was limited to making friends with the boys in his class, Julian found it difficult to find someone with the same interests or with whom he could truly connect. He was diagnosed with dyspraxia and, of course, all written work, handwork, or any fine motor skill activities were a challenge for him. As a result of that school experience, Julian felt that nobody loved him. His self-esteem was degrading and he just did not want to go to school anymore. Every morning was an ordeal. He did not want to get up, get dressed, and he almost walked backwards as I dropped him off to school. Julian has definitely been happier since he has been out of school. He is finally able to live his days at his own rhythm, which is so important to him. He plays and plays a lot. He much enjoys the freedom and space he has to do what he wants to do. He's not the kind of child you can force things on. It has now been six months of unschooling, basically, since I do not follow any curriculum. I felt that my son just needed to be free and rebuild his self-esteem. But now what? But now what? I ask myself. My son's interests are quite limited to a few things. I'm trying to create a stimulating environment, but it seems like very few of the things I bring are of interest to him. I suggest activities and outings, but he responds with little enthusiasm. I would love to help him research stuff and work on a project together, but none of that is happening. He seems to be mostly happy with his limited field of interests, but he also complains about being bored at times. I myself uh, uh, sense that he needs to broaden his horizons and be stimulated. I'm a very curious person who likes to explore and try everything, but he is not. I am a high achiever. He is not. Our interests are not the same, and therefore it is not always easy to live our days together. I am really struggling right now. I am wondering if I should follow a curriculum or if he would be better off going back to school after all. It is hard for me to accept him as he is right now. I hear all these great stories about other unschoolers, and ours is not like that. 
And then the fears and worry creep in. I worry that he will never develop any other interests or passions. I worry that he will always be closed off to trying out new things and not learn a variety of things. And this unschooling experience is supposed to be fun, right? How can I make it so? Because right now it is not. His father is worrying even more, and as a result, he tries to force ideas and specific activities on our son. He would like me to push our son to have interests, quote, of value, besides video games, and to work on them as a research project of some sort. He said he was not pushed enough to perform as a child, and he does not want his child to turn up like him. I, too, want to be living joyfully with my son. My main reason for taking Julian out of school was that he'd be happy again and that he rediscovers the joy of living on this earth. My deepest wish for him is that he flourishes with all his vibrant colors, colors that are his own. I want him to learn to listen to his own voice and to trust his heart, to never lose sight of who he is and to nourish and honor the great being he is. So there it is. I hope you can make some sense out of this. I'm just wondering what my role has to be now and am I failing my son's education? I just feel I need to do more, but what? Thank you for your help and taking the time to answer the many different questions in this story. Well, hi, Lucy. Thank you so much. I really just love your question. And I love that you're feeling that you want to do more. And I want to point out that you are in the earlier stages of your unschooling journey. And I want to encourage you to keep going. There is lots more that you can do. It's good. Breathe. <laughs> So I wanted to pull out a few things that you wrote and talk about the unschooling paradigm shifts around them to that can help you see the vibrant colors that I bet are already there. So you wrote, I felt that my son just needed to be free and rebuild his self-esteem. But now what? I asked myself. So with those words, you framed for yourself a before and an after. You know, that he just needed some time to rebuild his self-esteem, and then things will be as you envision them to be. And now six months have passed, things don't look as you expected, and now you're left questioning it all. Well, one of those paradigm shifts of moving to unschooling is about expecting things to turn out a certain way, right? It's getting rid of that vision of that certain way that you had. It seems the challenge is that you want to be living joyfully with your son, but you're only using your definition of what that looks like, that certain way. And your definition is wrapped up in how you wish your child to be, not in who he is. You wrote, my son's interests are quite limited to a few things. I'm trying to create a stimulating environment, but it seems like very few of the things I bring are of interest to him. I suggest activities and outings, but he responds with little enthusiasm. So here's part of that future expectation. You are wanting him to have a wider range of interests. He's telling you that he's not interested in the random things you're bringing to him that you think are stimulating. So... Take note, that's great information about him that you can use to help you hone in on what he thinks is stimulating. And if your son's interests are limited to a few things, use those few things as your inspiration. So often we think that having only one or two passionate interests means that our children are closing off their world. But that really, really, really isn't true. 
Even a singular interest is an amazing window to the whole world. I wrote an article uh, titled Unschooling Passions. It's on my website, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Please read that, and be sure to look at the connection maps that I created around two of my children's singular passions. You can turn his existing interests into a passion project of your own, exploring all sorts of fun ways to bring those interests into your lives even more. So it's not about trying to push those down and belittle those and find new ones. Bring those into your life even more. You also wrote, I want him to learn to listen to his own voice and to trust his heart. Show him that that's a good thing by listening to his voice and trusting his heart right now. Enthusiastically and fully support the interests that he has right now. That is trusting his heart. When he says he doesn't want to do something, enthusiastically and fully listen to him without judgment or disappointment. That is trusting his voice. And when he sees you completely listening to his voice and trusting his heart, when he sees himself shining in your eyes, he will begin to listen to and trust himself even more deeply. So I think if you can make some paradigm shifts and change up the way you are seeing things, you can be living joyfully with him right now. It's there. It's your vision that you need to start working through and sort through so that you can see all the great things and and the vibrant colors, to use your words, that are there right now. Anna? Yeah, so hi, Lucy. And thank you again for the question, because there was so much there and so many things to think about. And I love the things that Pam pulled out. And and for me, it was kind of similar. One of the first things that jumped out to me, though, was there was a lot of projecting and fear. And it's pretty common for people to project way out into the future, but it's just not a helpful tool. Because it basically removes us from the present moment, and we just end up borrowing trouble that may or may not come to pass. And I've found that it's very hard to see clearly or to make sound decisions from a place of fear. So that's just some inner work to set that aside before you can actually look at what's in front of you. If we stay present in the moment, connected and curious, the future unfolds in ways that we can't predict, that we can't plan and map out in beautiful, beautiful ways. And you said this, and I'm going to repeat it. Um, My deepest wish for him is that he flourishes with all of his vibrant colors, colors that are his own. I want him to learn to listen to his own voice and to trust his heart, to never lose sight of who he is and to nourish and honor the great being he is. And Lucy, that is so lovely. And maybe it's something that you can print off and tape it in a spot that you'll see it every day because so much of the rest of your question is really the opposite of this feeling. And you mentioned how different the two of you are. And that's okay. You know, one's not better than the other. It's just different. You don't want him to flourish in your colors. You want him to flourish in his colors, to be who he is. And finding ways to celebrate the person he is can help you connect and find joy in your time together, even when you're doing different things. And you continue to be the vibrant, curious explorer that you are. Enjoy that, but know that different people approach life in different ways. He may be a person who prefers focusing on one thing at a time or who has these singular passions. And that's lovely. And like Pam said, singular passions lead to 
all kinds of connections across the world. So my friend Pat has a, a theory and an essay even somewhere out there that's like, you can take, take chocolate and learn about the whole world. <laughs> and it's, it's so funny how she, and it connects with everything with, you know, economics and passions and cooking and recipes and math and everything else, because that's just the way it works. And that's, what's so great about unschooling is we get to, there's no subjects, there's no putting things into a project or a report. Like, you know, you and your husband are talking about it. It, it just, it, we connect with all the different aspects of what's happening in the world. And that's just, it's a beautiful way to learn and things really stick more because they're grounded in this foundation of things that we're interested in and things that mean something to us. And it also sounds like that he's been through a lot and that healing from that may take longer than you're expecting. Um, we have had many people over the years talk to us about experiences and it will be years later and their child will still be talking about difficult experiences from first grade. And so there's really no timetable for healing the spirit after there's been some trauma and upset. And it, you know, it sounds like he had a difficult time with bullying and not wanting to be there and feeling left out and lower self-esteem. So giving him space and unconditional love and seeing the beauty inside of him will go such a long way to creating a space for this healing to happen. And I also just wanted to kind of point out as a more generality that those teen preteen years um, often have a lot of hibernating periods. Um, what I've seen and what we've seen with people that have asked questions over the years is that it's they're opening up to seeing this bigger world and kind of figuring out their place in it and that that can sometimes be scary and it feels really big at times so retreating and kind of cocooning to regroup is really common because they're just trying to like take in all this new stimulation all this new information about the bigger world and then make sense of it and then they want to go out again so you'll see these different periods of things you know, things change, people grow, it, it, it just happens, we can't stop it. <laughs> Learning to be comfortable and finding connection in the moments will help build a foundation that will serve you both as he moves into your teen years and as your relationship grows and develops in this unschooling journey. I love all that. <laughs> such such great points. And, and even for, for my kids, I think when they left school, it was at least a good year um, before before I saw them, um, I was going to say, come out of their shell. But it, it's more just, you know, being just totally open in the moment, right. being able to be right in the moment. I mean, but like you said, still, things will come up. And right. be mentioned over the years as new connections kind of come in as something, you know, tweaks a memory or something. But it definitely takes lots of time. And, well, and I, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go I was ahead. just going to say, I loved, I loved the idea of, of um, everybody's vibrant colors being different. Right. That was just such a great point that, that we don't have to change our colors to match theirs. That no. that's the point is is now seeing theirs, um, seeing their beauty, seeing the things they love, um, without cl being clouded in our judgment, while accepting ours as well. That's beautiful. 
Yeah. And the only thing I was going to add, too, is kind of about that length of time piece, because my nephew is in school for a period of time, probably till about fourth or fifth grade. And oh, my gosh, I feel like the next four or five years, he refused to do anything that kind mm-hmm. of, quote, look like learning, you know, so just would buck and know. And, you know, people were thinking, but he's not learning, he's not doing. But of course, he was exploring his own passions. And, and now he's almost 30. And oh, my gosh, he learns and does and does amazing things and has this amazing life. And so, but it took time because he Mm -hmm. felt baggaged by that. He felt pinned in by that people forcing him to learn in a certain way. And he was just going to not have any part of it, you know, and that's just kind of his personality, but it just, I guess it just really does take longer than people think. It's kind of like, Oh, we solved that. We've moved on. Now we can do this. Well, it's like, no, we have to kind of make sense of all those things when things happen like that. So anyway, um, I will go on to question three which is from Barbara in South Africa. Okay, what to do if your 11-year-old son flat out refuses to shower, brush teeth, etc.? We don't force him and have explained personal hygiene, but he just doesn't seem to be that concerned. So hi, Barbara. Thanks for that. And, uh, you know, you may be surprised, but this comes up a lot (laughs) for kids around that age. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have known so many friends who have dealt with this, and we really had bits of it here, too. Um, and, And I have two girls. For some kids, it's a sensory thing. So I think it's helpful to peel back the layers and kind of see what some of those issues are. Showers may not feel comfortable. Some people don't like to get wet and don't like the feeling of it or it's cold or just whatever those sensory pieces are. And so spot cleaning, you know, is an option. We called it pits and parts here. So if... (laughs) He doesn't want to get fully wet from a shower, then maybe just cleaning pits and parts can help with the hygiene concerns of those around him. So, you know, just again, kind of peeling back, there's not one way to do it. Um, Dry shampoo was another great tool for us and for those who don't want to shower all the time. I made my own, but there's plenty out there that you can buy. And there are definitely other tools for keeping teeth clean. There are certain foods that help get plaque off teeth and that you can eat. And there's also swishing options and things like that. You know, we looked into it years ago and learned that the brushing before bed was the more important time. So we kind of prioritized that and then didn't, you know, just wasn't a big deal and didn't make it a big deal. And, you know, really never had issues. We've not had any cavities. Um, I think it's also helpful to realize that things change. You know, especially with boys, my friends with boys went from preteens who would never shower months without showering to teenagers who they could not pull out of the shower. (laughs) So, you know, it's just I would just talk about things that impacted me and we'd work for solutions for that impact, not trying to necessarily change what they're doing or put something on them. But just if it was smelly and that was hard for me because I have a sensory thing, I could talk about that and we could find solutions for that. But just know that it changes and they grow and change. And while it seems long in the moment, it will be quickly something different soon. Pam? (laughs) Yeah, that was great. I loved all those ideas. And yeah, it's Right now, I think it is a great time that he to, for him to explore the different comfort levels um, around all those different aspects of personal hygiene, right? And and Anna had some great examples of ways that you can help him explore that. Maybe try the dry shampoo. Maybe try different things. Um, 
you know, over time, he's going to discover his own um, tools, his own cues for when um, he'll want to do something, his own personal body cues, right, that tell him it's time. And, of course, um, share, like you were saying, in in a particular situation, if it's impacting you or bothering you, you know, you share those observations. That's how they learn to notice the cues around them as well, right? That's all part of figuring it out. Um, And I think for now, it's just helpful to dive into what's making you feel uncomfortable about his choices, right? So if it's not about something in the moment, like we had mentioned in earlier questions, oftentimes it's us plopping our current age child into adult situations, right? Right, And just just thinking that, oh my God, he won't shower now. He's never going to shower. He's going to be 25 and he's going to get fired because he stinks at work, right? (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) They they learn and grow and change and they figure this stuff out. So, you know, that is just extra worry that we're adding. It's an extra filter we're adding to the situation that adds no value at all. You know, because they're going to be a different person when they're even when they're 15, you know, when they're yes. teens, when they're 18, they're going to grow and change. And and the whole situation is going to morph long before it becomes, uh, you know, it has huge impacts. Like right now is a great time for him to be playing around with that stuff because, right. you know, at most he's going to smell and and going to make family uncomfortable a little bit but you guys are there to chat and work with him through it he's not going to be he's going to have that figured out long before he's going to be in a situation where it's going to have significant impact on his life I think yeah I think so too and I think another thing that is important and kind of interesting that we found is that um, people tend to have very specific ideas about this so I have friends that they basically have to shower every day. That's important to them. They get up. That's how they wake up. They shower every day. Well, I don't like to shower every day. I have long, long, heavy, curly hair, mm-hmm. and it's tough on my hair, and I don't like the wet feeling of it, and I just find it isn't good for my skin and blah, 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 so I don't shower every day. And so they're surprised by that, and I'm surprised that they're showering every day. Day. And so it's just really important to realize it just takes all types. Like we all, we like Pam said, he's going to find his rhythm of that and it may look different than yours. And that that's okay, that there's lots of different ways to take care of, you know, personal hygiene. So mm-hmm. it's very empowering to them to figure out for themselves, right? What yes. works for them. Okay, question four is from Chelsea in Florida. Hi, my question is about honoring family members with different preferences and needs. My husband and I are very much introverts. We tend to stick to home and aren't very social, but we like to go out as a family on the weekends when he doesn't work. My son, age six, is mostly the same. He likes doing things, but a lot of the time he prefers to be home. My daughter, eight, is extremely social. She is always wanting to be out doing things and talking to people. She is also content at home, but I know she would always prefer to be out and about. The problem is, when I do take the kids out to do something, I often wish I hadn't. Sometimes it's because they fight the whole time we're out. Sometimes it's because my son runs away from me or is mean to other kids. Sometimes it's because they each have something totally different they want to do and can't agree on anything. I have tried so many times to do things with them and have had so few successes. By success, I mean everyone actually enjoys whatever we set out to do. That I really just don't take them anywhere during the week anymore. Unless my husband can be with us so we can split up if things aren't working out, it's just too much for me. 
I don't like that. I want to do fun things with them. I want to take them places. I'm just not sure where it's falling apart. When similar questions have been asked on the podcast before, the advice usually includes talking things through and having conversations about what everyone wants and how we can work it out. I haven't been able to get that to work. My son doesn't seem to want to listen. When I try to talk to him, if it's something he thinks he doesn't want to hear, he just runs away screaming, stop talking to me. <laughs> we have been able to work out compromises with him if we can get him to tell us why he wants a particular thing. We can sometimes make it work. But usually he doesn't want to cooperate long enough to get to that point. So I stay home. I don't think it's necess that's necessarily a bad thing, but I worry that I'm not exposing them to enough interesting things. I tell them no a lot when they ask to do things because I'm just tired. I don't want to go through it all again. When outings go downhill, I start to doubt my choice to unschool. They certainly don't act like the other unschooling kids mentioned on the podcast. If someone saw my kids at the park, they probably wouldn't describe them as kind and respectful. I feel like I'm doing something wrong, but when I stay home, I feel like I'm holding them back. I'm trying to get my daughter involved in groups where she can go regularly to be social with other kids and help her and help fill her up that way. But is it okay to stay home and only go out on weekends? How can I get to a point where doing things with them is actually fun? I had hoped that it would get better as they got older, but that hasn't really been the case so far. I hope this question is clear. I had a hard time finding words for it. Thanks so much for your help. And thank you, Chelsea. I really appreciate your question because this dancing with different personalities is challenging, isn't it? So let, let's start with your final question there. Is it okay to stay home and only go out on weekends? Well, sure. <laughs> you know, if, that, if that's what works well for your family right now, absolutely. And realize that that's going to change over time. You wrote, I had hoped that it would get better as they got older, but that hasn't really been the case so far. Now, your children are only six and eight years old. They're not very old at all. When my eldest two were that age, they were in school. <laughs> I hadn't even heard of homeschooling, let alone unschooling at that age. So I would say give things more time. This all going out places together and everyone having fun is not something that needs to be solved quickly. And when you do eventually find a time when that happens pretty comfortably, things are going to change up again and again. <laughs> It's the ebb and flow of life together with other people. You mentioned um, that the suggestions we usually give in similar circumstances on the podcast about talking things through and having conversations about what everyone wants and how we can work it out. Absolutely. But then you added that your son doesn't seem to want to listen. When I try to talk to him, if, he, if it's something he thinks he doesn't want to hear, he just runs away screaming, stop talking to me. Now, those are great clues um, to tell us that our approach isn't working and to find another way for now. So often these conversations that I, as the parent, have brought up specifically, um, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It helps for things to come up in the flow of our conversation. So instead, maybe, here's an example, maybe we're chatting about a game that he's playing. 
and I mention he's been playing that game a lot the last few days. And he responds talking about how how fun the boss battles are at, at the end of each of these levels and figuring out how to beat each one has been really fun. And then I comment back about how cool it is to dive deep into something that's fun and challenging at the same time. And he agrees enthusiastically. And I say, hey, is that why you didn't want to go to the park yesterday? And he says, yeah, I just got to the boss for level six and I wanted to figure out his weakness so I could beat him. And I replied, cool, did you figure it out? What did you have to do to beat him? And he proceeds to explain the pattern that he discovered and followed to win the battle and beat the level six boss. So in that short and fun conversation about his game, I learned why he was upset and refused to go to the park yesterday. And I learned for future reference that when I notice he's deeply engaged in a game, it's probably not a great time to ask him to go out and do things. And from our conversation, he may have made the connection between his unhappiness in being asked to go to the park, something that he often likes to do, and his focus on progressing in the game. So he may have made that connection. He may have also picked up that I am okay with being into a game as the reason for wanting to stay home. And now he may be more comfortable sharing that reason next time. Maybe he thought I would dismiss it, saying that that wasn't a good enough reason that I'd want him to know. I would want him to know that any reason is good enough. So can you tell how even in that short Um, happy, fun conversation about a game, we manage to exchange some information that will help us moving forward with figuring out uh, how to um, meet everyone's needs, including going out when that might be, when that might work better, when it might not, etc. So you don't have to have direct conversations with your son to figure out those pieces of information. You can be watching him, you can be seeing patterns, you can be making making comments to help him see connections and to confirm for yourself that that really is a connection without having to directly address it. So we both learned things without me coming to him and saying, hey, why did you get so mad yesterday when your sister wanted to go to the park? Because mm-hmm. that that kind of question puts him on the defensive and maybe gets him running away screaming, stop talking to me, right? right? <laughs> so much learning about one another is done not through those specific point of conversations, but through observations and lightly sharing them to see what they think and taking what we learned forward the next time and testing that hypothesis and then learning a bit more. And you have time. Anna? Yeah, so hi, Chelsea. Um, I, I think it's, again, helpful to remember how quickly things change with kids. You know, they still are really very young, and it will definitely keep changing. And <laughs> like you're doing, I would look into the thing to meet your daughter's needs. If she's comfortable with drop-off events, that might be an option. Or having people over to your house. We found that hosting things was a good way to meet my social daughter's needs, but leave space for my more inverted daughter to retreat whenever she was ready in a space that she was comfortable with with. And that involved much less schlepping and of people and stuff and much less conflict. So we made our home the fun home to visit and to hang out to kind of meet those 
divergent needs. And one of our summit participants just shared really the most beautiful idea related to this issue. Her son um, would often tire of events before her daughter would. So she made a den for him in the back of their minivan where he had cushions, his electronics, and just this really cool, inviting space. And he loved it. And it allowed her daughter more time with friends. So I love the kindness and the creativity involved in this solution. And being an introvert myself, I can see myself retreating to the den with that child while my other child would be out enjoying all of the hoopla and fun of the big crowd. So I just, I love that idea so much. I wanted to share it. Um, And like Pam said, you asked, is it okay to go, just go out on the weekends? Well, of course, you know, if that's what feels best to everyone right now, trust that. But, you know, as I mentioned, it will change and be open to revisiting it as each of your needs grow and change. So again, that avoid that projecting this moment out for the next 10 years, because it's going to change just right now. This is what's working for you going out on the weekends. Next week, it may be completely different. So it's that being open. And, and ready for that ebb and flow and just to, to roll with that. And, and I love what Pam said again about kind of what we call those sideways conversations, you know, away from an event where you can gain some insight. You know, it's definitely, you know, not going in with this agenda. Why is this happening? What can we do differently? You know, and sometimes that works for some kids. They're able to have that kind of direct conversation. But for a lot, it's really more just being, you know, especially I see it with my younger daughter. It's like, we just have to have this kind of parallel time and then things will bubble up. You know, we'll be talking about Mm -hmm. different things and, you know, then suddenly she'll come out with, I didn't like the way this happened last week and which kind of surprised me like, Oh, okay. I didn't know we were going to talk about that, but it gives that open space. And so there's just some kids and, and adults that like to, you know, bubble up and get comfortable with a conversation when someone comes at them with questions they can retreat. You know, my daughter's more like just kind of closes off and it sounds like your son's more like, no, get away, (laughs) you know? And so it's, it's just, again, those are the clues to, okay, that wasn't what we need to do. Let's figure out another way. And just sitting and being and, and being open. And, and also sometimes it's just observing, you know, it's just observing some other things that are happening and, and taking yourself out of it. Because I think sometimes we can feel we're being thwarted perhaps when, you know, kids aren't agreeing or they're fighting or whatever. And it's, it's, we're taking that on as our own emotion. Like we talked about in the earlier question, let some of that wash over you and observe like, okay, what happened to get us here? Where, you know, what led up to these events? And then sometimes that can give you some insight into ways to approach it differently. Even without a conversation, you'll be able to see some of those pieces, but, um, but you know, anyway, so I think that's just a few things to think about related to that. So thank you for that question. Yeah, I just wanted to point out, because that, I think, is one of the hard shifts to unschooling, is to being in that moment without projecting that moment yes. into the future, right? That's it true. is. It is hard to do. It's it's just in our nature to be like, well, okay, even if this works for us now, right. what about five years from now? And then yeah. all of a sudden, we're caught up, oh, my God, well, that won't work when we're 20. <laughs> but we're not going to be that person in, when we're 20. So to... to um, not devalue the moment for this moment to be totally okay the way it is and to not have any expectations that that moment's going to go into the future it it just it it's a big piece of almost every every issue isn't it? it it really is such a huge piece and i think again it's it's it is trusting in that journey trusting mm-hmm. where we are now and when you said that it reminded me of 
Um, I have my youngest daughter is a big time gamer and she would stay up through the night, you know, gaming with people on the other side of the country and other parts of the world. And, you know, people would say at those times, like, she's never going to be able to get a job. She's never going to be able to work a regular schedule, whatever. And, you know, at the time I would just be like, well, maybe she'll work an alternative schedule or maybe she'll not. I don't know. Well, and now years later, she works all the time and she often has to be there at nine in the morning. And she just adjusted her schedule because she loves her job and she wants to be there. And I didn't need to train her out of that or stop her from living that life that she was living then because, oh, my gosh, it was such a rich life and we've met so many wonderful people through it and so again just if if anything you can take away from this episode is don't project out (laughs) like just just look right here be right here and connect and see the beauty and the joy in what your child is doing right now and celebrate that because it really the rest of it will just unfold if you keep that connection going yeah that's beautiful and that's the last question for this month Thank you so much for answering questions with me, Anna. Yay. And thanks to Anne for recording her question (laughs) and answer. That was awesome. Um, And just a reminder, there are links in the show notes for things that we mentioned in the episode. And as always, if you'd like to submit a question for the Q&A show, just go to livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast and click on the link. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the third book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Life Through the Lens of Unschooling. This book is a wide array of essays drawn from my blog that shed light on the day-to-day lives of unschooling families. You'll find essays tackling everything from learning to read to visiting relatives, all organized around nine keywords that have been woven into the fabric of our unschooling lives. Deschooling, learning, days, parenting, relationships, family, lifestyle, unconventional, and perspective. The theme is life, the lens, unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.